from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the Biden camp is making its list and checking it twice on the policies of the Trump administration they hope to overturn if they succeed in getting into the White House. Undoing the pro-life policies of the Trump administration and an expansion of the failed Obamacare policy tops the list. We'll talk about it with Senator-elect Dr. Roger Marshall of Kansas in just a moment. And a legislative hearing in Pennsylvania provided explosive numbers that point to election manipulation in the Keystone State. But more shocking than the revelation of potential manipulation is how the media is ignoring it. Paul Kingore, professor of political science at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, is here with more. And more evidence of big corporations like Nike and Coca-Cola, the self-described titans of social justice, aiding China in their persecution of Uyghurs. Nuri Turkle, one of my fellow commissioners on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and a Uyghur Muslim himself, joins me to explain. And to what degree did conservative evangelical turnout in the election uh, matter? Well, George Barna, FRC Senior Research Fellow for Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview and the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, is here with that answer. And the answer, quite frankly, may shock you as to the strength of turnout. George will also report on how confident conservatives are that the election was fair and honest. In fact, in just a minute, I want to get you to weigh in on that question. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're at on uh, Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. All right, today's Giving Tuesday. We mentioned this yesterday. Uh, the left has shown that they will do everything, everything they can to stop the advancement of biblical values. In fact, with the left becoming more socialistic and Marxist in their orientation, they have become outright hostile to religious freedom and biblical truth. That's why FRC is here in our nation's capital daily, defending life, marriage, family, religious freedom for you and your family. And I invite you to join us by partnering with FRC through a special $100,000 Giving Tuesday Challenge match. That means your gift today will have the dub- will double uh, will have a double impact in saving the freedoms we hold dear here in America. To join, call 1-800-225-4008. We've got folks, team members, standing by to take your call, 800-225-4008. Or you can visit TonyPerkins.com right now and make a contribution there. Again, whatever you give today will be doubled on this Giving Tuesday. And by the way, I want to thank all of the, all of you who gave uh, during last night's program, kind of getting a jump on Giving Tuesday. So thank you for doing that. Okay, um, in just a moment, I'm going to have a... I'm going to have a poll question for you today, so get ready. Just uh, go ahead and mark this down because I want to get your thoughts on the election and whether or not you feel that it was uh, fair and free and that your elections, uh, your vote counts. But we're going to get to that in a moment, so just stand by. I'm going to give you that number to text, and uh, we're going to do that in a moment. But first... You know, over the past four years, President Trump has uh, broken new ground for the sanctity of human life, not only here in America, but literally around the world. Tax dollars have stayed out of the abortion industry, both home and abroad, thanks to 
the Mexico City policy being reinstated and expanded. No longer are taxpayers in America being forced to fund abortion or organizations that promote it abroad. And, of course, the Hyde Amendment here, uh, although under tremendous assault, the president has uh, protected it and expanded the protections for the unborn. But here, I want you to hear, I want you to hear from his own lips uh, what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have uh, basically pledged on the campaign trail. So we should not be surprised when when they uh, make out their list and at the top of their list is to promote abortion. Here's what uh, Joe Biden said when he was candidate Joe Biden on the trail. The reason why I affirmatively came out opposed to the Hyde Amendment was that if we're going to have public funding for all health care along the line, there is no way you could allow for there to be a requirement that you have Hyde Amendment, a woman who doesn't have the money could not have coverage under health care. Number one. Number two, I would send immediately to the desk of the United States Congress when I'm elected president, if I'm elected president, a codification of Roe v. Wade amended by Casey. Because I think it is a woman's right to choose. I think it's a woman's opportunity to be able to make that decision. There are states that keep passing these laws. And so when elected, I'm going to put in place and require that states that have a history of passing legislation that is designed to, to prevent or, or limit a woman's access to reproductive health care, that those laws have to come before my Department of Justice for a review and approval. And until we determine that they are constitutional, they will not take effect. Well, joining me now to talk about what will will be if we have a Biden administration, what will be their policies as it pertains to the sanctity of human life and their pledge to resurrect and expand the Obamacare policies that uh, the president, uh, Vice President Biden and President Obama uh, foisted upon America a number of years ago. Join me now to talk about this. Senator-elect Roger Marshall, Dr. Marshall, member of uh, Congress at present, serving as congressman for District 1 in Kansas, but soon to step across the uh, across the hall the rotunda to serve in the United States Senate. Uh, Roger, thanks so much for joining us today. Good afternoon, Tony. It's great to hear your voice again. I hope you and your listeners had a great Thanksgiving. And boy, those words are scary. When you listen to uh, uh, Vice President Biden's own words, and then uh, Senator Harris's words as well, they're scary. And it just just brings up to the forefront how important it is we win those two Senate elections down in Georgia that we have to protect this majority in the Senate, the Republican majority, or those words will become law. And I know your listeners will um, will want to be talking about this and make sure that we stand up to protect the sanctity of life. With, with, without question, I think pointing to the outcome of what's happening in Georgia, where we've got a runoff election there in January the 5th, two Senate seats, which will decide the control of the United States Senate whether or not the Democrats have control of the White House, uh, the Congress, and uh, the House of Representatives, and the United States Senate. So critical, critical what's happening there in uh, Georgia. By the way, I want to congratulate you. I don't know that we've actually spoken. I think we've texted, but we haven't spoken since your victory there in Kansas. So congratulations uh, on your election to the U.S. Senate. Thank you so much, Tony. And again, thanks to your listeners, uh, the the people that believe 
in Christian values in Kansas got out and voted. My opponent was not just pro-abortion. She was radically pro-abortion in favor of dismemberment abortion. Uh, very, her, uh, she's personally invested uh, in giving to Planned Parenthood. It's in her estate planning, uh, all those types of things. So I appreciate all your listeners who got out and supported us, and we're, we pledge that we're going to be a strong voice to protect the unborn. I want to talk specifically about some of the proposals that are on the top of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris's to-do list. Uh, we, we mentioned one of them, Mexico City, immediately wanting to, by executive order, uh, eliminate the Mexico City. Uh, also, we, we talk about um, Title X funding, that is uh, family planning funding in which President Trump uh, put a uh, w- what's called a line of separation between organizations that do abortions and receive government money under Title X for family planning. That's going away, uh, pledging more money to Planned Parenthood. Uh, this is going to be a radical change in policy under a Biden administration from what we've seen in the last four years. You know, exactly. You're, you're right, Tony. What what the, the, the uh, Mexico City uh, ruling was is that that the United States would not be given taxpayer dollars to nonprofit organizations who participate or refer to abortions. As you can imagine, uh, we were basically funding large abortion clinics across the country. A president. Uh, President Reagan came out with this, and essentially it's been back and forth. One of Republican presidents protected it, and then uh, Democrats taken it away. So under the Obama, uh, now Biden administration, you know, it's just the next chapter of that same book. We'll be using federal dollars to help fund abortion clinics across the world. Then the Title X funding, when I think of Title X funding, I think about funding for the health departments across the country. I used to supervise, was the clinical director for uh, health departments, uh, as well as the community health centers. And the whole purpose of those were to do pap smears, breast exams, the STD testing, family planning. And what what, uh, what Biden wants to do is now use monies and allow people to participate in abortions and refer to abortions to be get, getting access to those dollars again. And I'm just telling you, it's just almost impossible to sit there and look at Planned Parenthood and say, okay, this is the family planning side and this is the abortion side. Uh, there, there may be a, a, a wall there to divide them, but it's all one same company. I saw it over and over again as an obstetrician. Uh, a little 16-year-old girl walks into Planned Parenthood for a pregnancy test and a pap smear, and the next thing you know, she's being scheduled for an abortion uh, without her permission. So uh, we need to stand up here. This is a moment that we all need to stand up and say, wait a second, that's not how we want federal dollars being used. So, Congressman Marshall, as a as a doctor, I assume that your committee assignments, you're going to be somewhere near the health committee. You're going to be involved in health care issues in the United States Senate, as you have been in the House. You know, one of the areas that Biden could expand abortion uh, without the the Senate, without Congress, would be through the FDA and its approval of drugs like uh, uh, mufeprestone, the the uh, abortion pill, um, um, allowing for greater access to that over the counter or in pharmacies. Um, what do you see as a way forward in protecting women from this uh, dangerous, life-ending drug? Right. Well, I think we need to, to hold the FDA accountable, uh, and certainly they get their supervision and their funding from Congress. 
So we need to make sure that we don't expand that type of a drug to an over-the-counter, just like birth control pills should not be over-the-counter as well, because you're right. These drugs do have have long-lasting side effects. They cause hemorrhaging and and bleeding, obviously, uh, and, and other complications. So we need to make sure that only physicians can prescribe those and make sure the FDA adheres to just the strictest standards to protect patients. So, uh, Congressman Marshall, do you see Republicans um, playing as hard as the Democrats did in trying to stop President Trump and everything that he did? I mean, if the Democrats did it, blocking the president of and and I'm talking about, you know, legitimate measure. I'm not talking about making up the things that the Democrats did, but they played hardball trying to stop this president at every turn. Do you see the Republicans doing this with Joe Biden? You know, absolutely. I've I've got full faith in Mitch McConnell on the Senate side, Kevin McCarthy and and the team on the House side absolutely standing up to the president and uh, slowing down all that work he's going to try to do with a pen and a a telephone, as President Obama once said. So absolutely, we will be. All right. Congressman uh, Roger Marshall, Senator-elect Marshall, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. And again, congratulations on your election to the U.S. Senate. Thank you so much, buddy. God bless you. All right. Uh, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. I look forward to working with Senator Marshall, as we have in the House. All right, when we come back next, you know, we talked about this yesterday with a member of the Pennsylvania legislature. Well, last week there was a hearing in which present, a presentation was made about the, the facts, just the numbers, looking at the numbers. Pretty astounding. Uh, what uh, took place in Pennsylvania, but but even more so is the fact the media has been silent. We're going to talk with Professor Paul Kingor from Grove City College next. Uncle hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. 
All these resources are free and available at frc.org slash worldview. Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. All right, as promised, we've got a poll question for you today. And um, first, text the word radio to 53445, and you'll get a link back. But here's the question. Do you believe that across the country the voting process was legal and the votes were accurately counted in this year's election? Or do you believe that there were significant problems with the way the election was conducted or votes were counted? Now, there's a reason for that uh, wording and the length of that question. Text the word radio to 53445. Later in the program, we're going to be joined by George Barna, who actually polled what's called SAGECONs, spiritually active governance-engaged conservatives across the country. That very question. I want to see where our listeners stack up, so help us out. Text the word radio to 53445. We're going to have the results later in the program. All right. Yesterday, Stephanie Borowitz, state representative from Pennsylvania, joins us, joined us to, to discuss the resolution that they attempted to pass, uh, calling on Congress to declare that the electoral vote in Pennsylvania, the results were in dispute. Part of that goes back to what took place last Wednesday at Gettysburg, a special hearing to look into election irregularities. And here is a, a, a short clip from last week's hearing. This is uh, retired Colonel Phil Waldron, a former combat officer with a background in Army information and electronic warfare. Here's a clip. Our experts uh, and other academics believe that up to 1.2 million Pennsylvania votes could have been altered or fraudulent. This is what we discovered in the last 22 days. Really, only a detailed forensic analysis of the actual machines and software will truly show how many Pennsylvania citizens have had their civil rights violated. Joining me now to talk more about this, Paul Kengor, professor of political science at uh, Grove City College. Professor, welcome to Washington Watch. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. Now, you uh, th there's some amazing stuff that came here, and you wrote an article about it. By the way, there's a link at TonyPerkins.com. You kind of covered last week's hearing. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me, um, there were two things. The first one was this. There were a request um, of, if I'm reading this right, of, of 
million mail-in ballots were sent out by the Commonwealth, yet 2.5 million mail-in ballots were counted. How do you do that? Yeah, in fact, so and Rudy Giuliani immediately sort of cross-examined uh, Phil Waldron, who's the, the retired Army colonel, on that question. So they came up with 766,000 missing ballots, in their view. Um, now, since then, Tony, the, the Pennsylvania Office of Secretary of State has updated that information, and they now say that there are 3.1 million ballots that were sent out. And so, so uh, I guess Waldron would say that that information has been changed, presumably corrected, assuming, <laughs> assuming that, that it's correct. But even then, if, and, and we're addressing this in my Spectator article right now because there's now more information than we had than when Waldron said that. But even if that's correct, that the 3.1 million were sent out, about 2.6 million were, were supposedly returned. In other words, filled out and returned. And, Tony, that's like a 90% return rate on mail-in ballots. I mean, that that's extraordinarily high. I mean, we would be surprised if that's correct. And there's even a piece out now by Daniel Horowitz. It's, it's up at the blaze on how even if, that, even if it was indeed 3.1 million ballots and there were 2.5, 2.6 million returned, what it would still have taken for Joe Biden to have overtaken Donald Trump's 700,000 vote lead in Pennsylvania on November 3rd seems statistically impossible. And, and, and so even the mail-in ballots, I mean, that remains, I, I think, the shadiest question of all. And, and frankly, this is the problem with mail-in balloting. It's why two-thirds of the countries in the European Union ban it. And it's why so many states in America ban it, because the opportunities for fraud are, are just enormous. Well, let me ask you this, Professor. If Let's say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that this was a mistake and so they corrected it. Right. But in something so significant as elections and determining the f- leader of the free world, if we're that sloppy where we make those kinds of mistakes, should would that not draw more scrutiny to the process? Yeah, it should. And I could tell you as somebody who voted in Pennsylvania, I mean, I went into my little you know, local small town voting center, and even though the little old lady from the League of Women's Voter, uh, Women Voters who, who knew who I was, she asked me for my ID. I had to, I had to sign. I had to sign there, and my son, who has the, the same first name that I do, his name was right above mine. He had to show his ID. He had to put a signature there. And you can't guarantee that with mail-in ballots. And what's even worse is that once these mail-in ballots come in, the, the envelopes, they discard the envelopes. So you can't go back and double-check to see exactly where they all came from. And also, Tony, there's an enormous number of uh, – we're not sure. In fact, probably two or three days after the election, the number estimated was at least 450,000. I'm sure it's way higher than that now. There's an enormous number of mail-in ballots that had only Joe Biden's name circled. Yeah. That, In other words, nobody else was voted for at all. Now, now I, I, I concede this. It's possible that, that uh, so many of those people came out because they hated Donald Trump and they just wanted to vote for Biden and nothing else. That That's possible. I don't know how common that is to have only the president checked off and nobody else. But, but I, I find that too curious. 
especially given, again, the opportunities for fraud, the lack of verification in the mail-in balloting process. Yeah, I mean, those things do happen, but as I've talked to other statisticians, there are norms in which that happens, just as you were talking about the uh, percentage of mail-in ballots that returned. History will give us kind of the parameters and, and shows us if there are outliers. This election... Too many outliers. Too many outliers. And, yeah. and very on the way out, you made the, the other point. A lot of information here, but something was missing, in particular the media, ignoring all of this. That's right. Yeah, that's been the biggest scandal in all of it. It really has. All right, Professor, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, very interesting article. I'll encourage people to take a look at it. Thanks, Tony. All right, Paul Kingor, Professor of Political Science at Grove City. All right, coming up next, uh, some of America's uh, largest corporations, you know, these uh, titans of social justice, actually working behind the scenes to water down a bill that would protect the Uyghur Muslims. Commissioner Nuri Turkle joins me next. Don't go away. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. To participate in today's poll question, text the word radio to 53445. That's 53445. Text the word radio. Send you a link to it. All right, there's a piece of legislation that's passed the House overwhelmingly, 406 to 3. It's called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. 
Now, what this would do would forbid the import of a variety of materials from the Xinjiang region of China. Now, this is the area where the Uyghur Muslims are, where we've got these, um, as you used the term, concentration camps. They call them education camps. And um, there's some big American corporations that are reportedly working behind the scenes to water down this legislation, companies like Nike. Coca-Cola. I mean, there was a uh, Congressional Executive Commission on China released a report in March that listed a number of companies with suspected ties to forced labor, which included Nike, Coca-Cola, Adidas, Calvin Klein, Campbell Soup Company, Costco. Um, So why are these titans of social justice here in the United States working to aid China's persecution of Uyghur Muslims? Joining me now to talk about this is... uh, Uh, my fellow commissioner at the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. He is the uh, chairman of the board for the Uyghur Human Rights Project, Nuri Turkle. Nuri, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me on, Tony. Uh, Nuri, are you surprised that you have these American companies working behind the scenes to water down this legislation that would bring attention and aid to the persecuted Uyghur people? Uh, To be be, uh, uh, honest, frank with you that um, I am somewhat dumbfounded that they have been investing resources and money uh, to lobby against this bill. Uh, this, is, this bill uh, bears the name Uyghur, but this is about uh, who we are as a country. Uh, you know, it's a matter of conscience. Uh, it's a moral issue, economic security issue, national security issue, uh, because this is a, a, a closely tied to a, a, a consumer products uh, as simple as a mask, uh, protective equipment being used in the hospitals, baby pajamas sold in uh, Costco, uh, sneakers sold in Nike stores, even some of the computer components uh, being utilized in our offices at homes these days. So uh, this is the, the American business uh, uh, leaders need to do some soul searching. Uh, the United States Congress is not out there to uh, go after them. We simply uh, trying to address this modern-day slavery through this legislation to clean up the global supply chain that the Chinese Communist Party polluted uh, through this uh, uh, forced labor program. What, as we speak, uh, the United States remain to be the largest destination for uh, pr- products produced in the Uyghur region. Based on a research uh, done by a strategic, uh, Center for Strategic and National Studies, the United States uh, import export value of uh, volume from that region uh, to the United States during the period of April 2019 through 2020 has increased by 250%. This wow. is in the face of all the, uh, the unprecedented historic uh, decisions made by the current administration. The Trump administration uh, added uh, 48 entities to the entity list, sanctioned this paramilitary by the name Xinjiang Production Construction Corp, uh, with over 3 million paramilitary troops uh, stationed in the Uyghur region, with over 800,000 shell companies around the world. And 
and, and the targeted sanction against the Chinese officials, and this legislation being uh, uh, discussed in the uh, deliberated in the United States Congress, this is nothing but tone deaf, deaf by the uh, American businesses. This is not solely the U.S. business issue. Let me make make this very clear. We want it to be helpful. We want American businesses to do the right thing, right. but this is also has to do with global uh, economic environment. We have companies like Volkswagen. We have companies like Hugo Boss, H&M, that are not U.S. companies that have been also implicated in this uh, modern-day slavery issue. And it's not just those corporations. I, I had uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on um, not too long ago. We were discussing this. And it's also the consumers here in the United States that we need to be educated knowing where some of these companies have compromised or they have this hypocrisy and they are benefiting from the forced labor of the Uyghur people, and we just need to refuse to do business with them. Exactly. Uh, Secretary Pompeo has been an extraordinary leader in this effort. Uh, his department issued business advisory. Uh, as a capitalist market economy, we cannot manipulate how businesses operate, but we can provide them a moral guideline, as uh, Secretary Pompeo has done. Uh, there's an existing laws addresses uh, the forced labor issues, but that's insufficient. This is precisely why, as you pointed out, this bill received 406 positive votes, uh, a, a yes vote in the U.S. House of Representatives. And this is sitting in the U.S. Uh, Senate. And I, I anticipate this bill to be done either in the lean back session or in the uh, new Congress. Uh, you mentioned the consumers. I call on the uh, listeners to this p- program to think twice before they reach out to the shelf to pick up a made-in-China product, particularly a cotton product. More than yeah. 20% of the products sent, sent out of China are sourced in the Uyghur region. Absolutely. I, I do. Our family does. We're very, very conscious about that, conscious about that now, uh, especially as we know the persecution that's taking place for all people, but in particular how they're targeting the Uyghur Muslims. Nuri Turkle, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tony. All right. Uh, Nuri Turkle, Commissioner Nuri Turkle. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. And, and folks, take responsibility. You know, we, we can do something. Coming up next, George Barna joins me with uh, post-election polling of conservative evangelicals. That's next. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, Critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, 
It is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Write that down. Visit it. If you're on Parlor, it's at T Perkins. All right, here's the poll question one more time because I'm going to give you the results in just a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to do this before we bring in our final guest. Do you believe that across the country the voting process was legal and votes were accurately counted in the election? Text the word RADIO to 53445. 53445. Text the word RADIO. I really want to get your results because George Barna, my next guest, uh, actually polled social well, what we would call cons- what we would call conservative evangelicals. He has a term for it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And I want to see uh, where our audience lines up. So help us out with that. Text the word radio to five three four four five. All right. Post election, what do we know about the turnout of sage cons? That's the spiritually active governance engaged conservatives. That's the the core of what I would call the evangelical world. About uh, a little over twenty million voters. Join me now to uh, to talk about this. George Barney is a senior research fellow for Christian ethics and biblical worldview here at the Family Research Council. Also. He is the uh, director of of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and president of Metaformation, Inc. George, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. Good to be with you. Okay. Let's talk sage cons. You you coined that term. That's spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, Um, uh, roughly uh, 9% of of the adult population. Yeah, that's about what they are. Um, what we've seen is probably over the course of time that's been declining because we've seen so much of that in our culture. But when you look at their behavior, they again distinguish themselves, not just by their beliefs, but the fact that they convert their beliefs into action. 
So in this election, while they represented 9% of the adult population, the voting age population, they also represented 14% of the vote. So they, they were uh, roughly 21 million votes. Actually, there are about 23 million votes. And when you look at how they voted, uh, yeah, there was a, a net difference between uh, the votes for the two major candidates of 21 million. So 20, 21 million of them voted for, based on your research, voted for Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, tw- well, yeah, it was 22 point something million. When you take out the votes from Mr. Biden, then you get a little bit over 21 million as a margin uh, for Mr. Trump. Well, that would be almost a third of, uh, if I, my math is correct, that would be almost a third of President Trump's vote. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty astonishing when you look at where did he get his vote? Where did he get his support from? This is, without any doubt, without any qualifications, the most enthusiastic and united group of votes that he received from any of the 80 different segments of the population that we studied. Okay, so we're talking about um, 23 million SageCons cast votes, um, about roughly 9% of the adult population. What percentage of that population turned out to vote? Well, I mean, it's kind of shocking to say it, uh, but 99% of them turned out to vote. And to put that in context, you have to understand that nationally they're estimating that 66% of all voting age adults turned out. That was considered high. That's certainly above average. But 99% is off the charts. Is there any other voting block that turns out at that high of percentage? No, and and we looked at all the others. I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, women, liberals, blacks, conservatives, none of them uh, came close to that 99%. So, yeah, I mean, that I, I, I would consider it to be a record, but I don't have all the historical evidence. But, man, you can't get much higher than 99%. Yeah, I mean, somebody, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you get, you top that. The only way we increase that number is by expanding the number of sage cons in America. And you and I have talked about that, and that is actually our mission, is to expand the number of sage cons. But let's talk first about these 99, this 99% turnout among sage cons, these 23 million American voters. What drove them in such high numbers to vote? Well, uh, we asked them that question, and we found out that the highest-ranking motivation was the track record of President Trump. You have to remember back to 2016, people who voted for him, SageCons voted for him in, in huge numbers back in 2016, but they were essentially voting against Hillary Clinton. In 2020, they were voting for President Trump because of what he's done over the last four years. So that was the the biggest driving motivation. But very close to that, uh, we found that Sage Khan's also enumerated his position on various social issues that matter to them, as well as his positions on several fiscal and economic issues. And overall, the fact that he has a conservative political ideology and he has leadership abilities that they've come to appreciate, many of them saying, I never thought that I would say I appreciate Donald Trump's leadership. 
But after four years of it, that's where a, a large proportion of them have landed. So 99% turned out to vote. What percentage of that 99% voted for Donald Trump? 97%, which, which again, is, is staggering. It's mind-blowing. Back in 2016, because of the dislike for Mrs. Clinton, we had sage cons turning out at 91%. We thought, well, we're never going to see that again in our lifetime. This time, 99%. Back in 2016, 93% voted for President Trump. We thought, well, you really can't get much higher than that. Somehow, Sage Cons did it this time with 97%. So I think we're, we're pretty much seeing the ceiling of what any particular voting segment could ever achieve. Now, we're hearing the narrative in the media that evangelicals turned away from Donald Trump. The numbers declined. Now, th- that's... Not now. I, I don't want to mix terms here because sage cons are a subset of evangelicals. It's a tighter definition, but this speaks something that is contrary to the narrative of the media. Yeah, but you, Tony, you have to remember what the media is basing their argument on. So they go back to the surveys that their pollsters have done, and because they don't understand religion, they don't really care about religion. They just ask people, "Hey." Do you consider yourself to be an evangelical or a born-again Christian? First of all, they lump those two groups together. Secondly, they're relying on people to categorize themselves in that manner. And, and I'll tell you, we did the same thing in our surveys, but only for comparative purposes. We don't measure people based on their self-identification. We look at what they believe and what they do spiritually, and then we categorize them into various segments, spiritual segments, one being evangelical, a different one being born-again Christians, you know, another one being sage cons. So we've got these various segmentations that are based not on what people prefer to call themselves, but based on what they believe and what they do. And our research shows a very different outcome among evangelicals even than what you would hear from the mainstream media. Now, you and I in the past have worked on, uh, in previous elections, focused a lot of energy and effort on voter registration um, and, and trying to get um, evangelicals to register to vote. I don't know how deep you've gone with the sage cons, but it, it looks like there, there are very few sage cons that are not participating in the process. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's accurate, and it's because of the fact that their worldview compels them to be involved. They believe that the Bible teaches if you're going to represent Christ, you don't pick and choose where you represent him. You you represent him everywhere. So that means in your community, in the, the voting booth, in your schools, in your churches, in your place of work, no matter where you go, you represent Christ. And so it's not surprising to find that sage cons believe they have a biblical responsibility to vote. And the kind of vote that they cast needs to be one where they believe at some point in, in the future they're going to stand before God and have to give account for that. So they're really careful. They do a lot of homework. They're one of the most politically attentive groups or segments in our population. So, yeah, it's not surprising that they're participating at these really high rates. So, so George, to more precisely define those individuals. They are politically engaged because they are spiritually 
active. Yeah, it's their faith that comes first in their life. To them, it's all about knowing, loving, and serving God. Right. And so when, when they look at things, they believe that the Bible is his word. And so they want to take their cues for everything, not just voting, but including voting, not from what the media tells us, not from what their professors in college taught them, but from what God has said in his word. So it's a very different way of looking at what's my responsibility and how can I carry it out most meaningfully. Yeah. And, you know, that is people told me, how do you get in politics? You know, I, I got into this political arena because of my faith. Uh, because I saw things that were not right, and I felt compelled because of my relationship with Jesus Christ and my commitment to biblical truth to get engaged. I was happy not being involved. You know, I voted and all that kind of stuff, but I, w- I, I never envisioned a, uh, uh, you know, being in this arena. But it was through my faith, and I think that's what a sage con is. We, we're not political animals. We are spiritual beings that are drawn through responsibility to Scripture to engage in the cultural culture around us, and politics is a part of that. And, Tony, I know that when you look back at your time in the legislature, when you look at all that you're doing on Capitol Hill these days with FRC, it's not a comfortable position to be in. You are attacked because of your faith. You are attacked when you do good things for people because it was driven by your faith. But when your faith is number one, that's irrelevant. This is what God put you here to do. This is your calling. This is your purpose. This is why you get out of bed in the morning. And that's just part of what comes with it because we're just passing through on this planet. We know that we've got a job to do. We do it. And then we look forward to to spending eternity in God's presence. Yeah, that's interesting, George, because when I have people come to me and, you know, knowing that I've been in politics for a quarter of a century, held office, they say, you know, I I feel I want to I want to run for office. And what what do I need to do? And my first response to them or my first question is, has God called you to this for that very reason? Because if God's called you and this is a part this is an out growth of your faith, then it doesn't matter what people say or do to you. But if it's not, if you're stepping into this into your own strength and for your own purposes, you will conform to the pressures around you and you will fail in your mission to represent Christ and the truth in in this arena, because it is an unforgiving, uh, oppressive, difficult, vicious arena. Yeah, and and so when somebody says they want to go into it, praise God, but make sure he called you to it. It's not just something that you find interesting or attractive or appealing or it's a stepping stone. You're going to fail if if that's the case. And then if you do decide that, yeah, God called me into it, toughen up because you're walking to the front lines of the battle. You're going to be attacked daily for stuff that you shouldn't be attacked for. Yeah. But that's the nature of the game. All right, George, um, we've, we're almost out of time, and I've and I got to get to this question, because you, in the midst of this survey, you also asked people whether or not they felt that the process, the voting, was carried out legally, their votes were going to be counted. And I did the same thing with our listeners today, and I want to compare those numbers. What did you find? Well, we asked this both of the general public as well as sage cons. And two diametrically opposed uh, answers. 
we found with SageCon, 79% said that they believe there were numerous instances of abuse and that those instances changed some of the election outcomes. In contrast, what we found was that two out of three people in the general public felt that, generally speaking, the election was proper and appropriate, and there were no outcomes that were changed by anything that might have happened. Interesting. Well, among our listeners today, same question. Of course, a lot of more information has come forward since you did this poll a couple weeks ago. But we had 96% of our listeners said there were numerous incidences of abuse that they believe changed the outcomes. Uh, 1%, less than 1%, not sure. 4% said there were numerous instances but did not change the outcome. Less than 1% said that they, they may, or may have been some instances of abuse, but they did not change any outcome. So our audience, uh, very, very suspect of uh, this election and the manipulation that they've heard about. And what that says to me is we're probably dealing with an audience of sage cons, people who understand these things that we're talking about. And, man, I'd encourage them to, to not give up the fight. I mean, this is something that's got to go on every day for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. And that is my mission, to make more sage cons. And uh, you're going to help me do that. George Barna, thanks so much for being with us today. Always great to be with you, Tony. Thank you. Uh, all right, George Barna. I, I, he's, he understands this stuff, and I, I love having him on the program. You can find out more. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and, uh, and check it out. And help us make more sage cons. Talk about what you hear. Don't shrink back into the shadows or be silent. Speak boldly the truth, because it is the truth that sets us free. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.